Welcome to the MPC Podcast. I am Tim W. Gill, pastor of Medora Pentecostal Church, and I'm thrilled that you've joined us today. Here at MPC, we are committed to bringing hope and building lives. One way we do that is through this podcast. Thank you for listening, for sharing and reviewing what we do here. It is our desire to connect with you, and you can find us on Facebook, or you can find us at our website, medorachurch.com. It is our prayer that today's message inspires you, encourages you, and that the kingdom of God is advanced in your life. Let's get right to the word of the Lord today. Genesis chapter 13, we'll be starting at verse number 1. And Abram went up out of Egypt. Everybody say Egypt. He went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had and lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and in gold. And he went in his journeys from the south even to Bethel unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai. Unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks, herds, and tents. And the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together. For their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. I'd like to speak on this simple subject tonight. The sin in sight. Everybody say, the sin in sight. If you'll put down your Bibles, and let's pray unto the Father in heaven and say, God, won't you just have your way in this place tonight? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. We know it's just not another midweek service, but God, it's a chance to hear from your word. And Lord, I pray that it would not fall on deaf ears nor on closed hearts, God. I pray that this would be good seed and it would fall on good ground, Lord. We give you all the glory and all the honor in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. You may be seated. How many know that we live in a visual world, amen? We're a part of a world that has advanced so much in the realm of technology. Everywhere you look, it's all about the visuals. It's always about how things look, how they appear, what do they look like. It's, it's, uh, it's how does it appeal, not just to me, but it has, how does it appeal to other people's eyes? Are my business advertisements pleasing to the consumer's eyes? Is my YouTube vlog getting enough views today? How many people saw what I posted on Instagram about what I had for lunch? It's all the big questions like that. Of course, we all know that the internet has changed the way man now prefers to take in his information. Years ago, we would have gotten our information, whether it was an advertisement, the news, or sports, or whatever... We would have been huddled together around a radio listening through the static to hear what everyone else was hearing at the exact same time. But I'm, t- I'm telling you, gone are those days. Today we have all the information we could ever want at our fingertips. All of the information from all over the world is in just this little phone right here. We no longer have to wait for the 6 o'clock news anymore to see what happened during that day. No, in fact, we could see it the second it happens. It's either trending on Twitter or people are posting about it on Facebook. It is a visual world that we live in, church. 
One source tells us that 84% of consumers say that if the ad they watched had a promotional video, they were more likely to buy that product. An article that has an image or video between every 75 or 100 words, that means if you're reading an article, there's some words, whatever they got to say, and they either got a picture or a video, that it has a 200% more likely chance to be shared by somebody than one article that does not have any pictures or visuals. If your tweet has an image or video, the likeliness of it being shared skyrockets by 150%. And Facebook said that at this moment right now, they have over 500 million people watching videos on their channel right now. Everyone say it's a visual world. It is a visual world that we live in. It has changed the very nature of man. It's changed the way we operate. It's changed the way we consume. It's changed everything. But now going back to our opening text, we see the famous story of Abram leaving Egypt with his family accompanying him and his nephew Lot. Now God has been working on sculpting Abram to what was prophesied over him by the Lord. In Genesis chapter 12 and verse number 1 says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of the country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. Pay attention to that part. We'll go back to it in here in a few minutes. And I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing and I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curseth thee and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed now this is quite the prophecy you hear from God Almighty could you imagine when God is telling you that he wants you to step out by faith but he also gives you all of this plan He said, if you are willing to follow me, you are going to be blessed. Your family will be blessed. Your lineage will be blessed. Anybody that speaks ill of you, I'm going to put a curse on them. And all of your families of the earth will be blessed because of your ministry. Your name, Abram, will be great and you're going to be a blessing to others. Could you imagine hearing those words out of God Almighty when he's telling you the plan for your life? What a reassurance for your calling. If only when he called me into the ministry, he gave me a word like that or a plan like that. That all the blessings would be coming my way. And that anyone that cursed me would be cursed. I think that would be kind of cool. I don't know how many of y'all would be cursing me, but just saying. If the Lord said that, you'd be cursed too. However, I want to look at the very first, uh, first verse I used in Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of the country and from thy kindred and from the father's house unto a land I will show thee. What I find so interesting about this text is the fact that the land God promised to Abram isn't mentioned. He didn't say, I'm sending you to Canaan to be blessed. He didn't say, I'm sending you over by Jordan to be blessed. He said, you're going to be blessed, but you're going to go to a country only I am going to show you later. Going back to a few statistics, I know it's, it's a little slow tonight, but we'll, we'll be getting there here in a few minutes. I know it's Bible study night, but how many know that the science, true science, proves that the Word of God throughout history and throughout the world? Icon News wrote an article on the top five reasons why visual content dominates in the year of 2022. 
The first is that visuals are processed faster. One study says that the human brain processes visual information 60,000 times faster than text form. And that it also retains 90% of information that was given through visuals. Those are high numbers, everybody. Through visuals. Those are high. Number two, it helps with higher conversion rate. If a company a visual or a video, they are 86% more likely to have that consumer visit their website from that ad. Number three, visual content is social media friendly. How many know it's all about social media today? You very rarely see something on social media that isn't in the form of a picture or video. Number four, visual content helps drive traffic. You want more traffic to, uh, to whatever it is you want people viewing? Use visuals. Number five, visually appealing blogs get the most attention. And this is really staggering. Blogs with visuals have 94% more interactions than those who don't. 94%. Church, we live in a world that is driven by what they can see. We are pushed and only act on what we've seen or watched. We are pushed by our visuals. That's why I find it so interesting that as God is laying out the plan for Abram, while he was telling Abram all the blessings and all of the steps that his life is going to go through, he says, but where you're going to go, I'm not going to tell you. I will show you. I'm not going to tell you this part of the plan, Abram, but I will show you. So when Abram, Sarah, and Lot with his family leave Egypt at the end of the 12th chapter of Genesis, this leads us back to our opening text in Genesis 13. As they are coming out of Egypt, we begin to see the riches that Abram and Lot had. That they went south to Bethel, and the Bible says that they went to a place between Bethel and Hai. And the Bible even says that this was the exact place that God had told him his plan for Abram's life. Abram went to Egypt with his family. In fact, chapter 12 kind of has an odd story that Abram and Sarah, they stay up before Pharaoh. And Abram's like, yo, Sarah's not my wife, that's my sister. And then the Pharaoh blesses all of them. And then Pharaoh finds out, hey, Sarah's actually your wife. That's kind of weird. Why would you say that? And Abram's like, well, you know, I've got my reasons. So it's this odd kind of deal. And then we step into Genesis 13. And, it, and Abram's at the altar that that God called him to. And he says this in verse number 6. And the land was not able to bear him. That they might dwell together. For their substance was great. That they could not dwell together. So after Abram gets to the place where he prayed with God. Then it starts talking about the substance. That Abraham or that Abram was given to him. From coming out of Egypt. The Bible even tells us that these two families were so blessed when they came out of Egypt that when they set their tents up with all their cattle, all their silver, and all their gold, they had no room for all of it. Could you imagine having so much stuff that your literal land cannot contain all that you own? Their substance was great. In ancient Hebrew culture, these families would not separate their wealth. In fact, it was kind of like... One big shared wealth between Lot and Abram and that family. Lot didn't have his wealth and Abram have his. But in fact it would have been more like a big melting pot of wealth. Everyone would deposit so that they could also withdraw kind of thing. If that makes sense to everyone. 
But the Bible says that they had so much that the land couldn't even hold them together. And how many know when wealth is involved, soon after drama will also be involved. Amen. Genesis 13 and 7 says, And there was strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle and the Canaanite and the Perizzites, but dwelled them in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. So now we are seeing some strife between the workers of Abram and Lot. However, Abram steps in with a plan. And he wants to squash all this pettiness that's going on between these two families. He says, there's no such room... Oh, there's so much room, rather, that if you wanted to take your share and separate yourself from me and my family just so that we can have peace, let's do it. If we need, how many know sometimes you just need to back away from your family a little bit? Sometimes, I know um, my dad was giving me some marriage advice before I got married, and he said, Son, you will love your wife every single day, but sometimes you're just going to be a day where you say, you know what, you go to your corner and I'll go to mine and we're just going to have the day, amen? There's so much more to this story than an uncle trying to save his relationship with his nephew. When Abram offered for Lot to take what he had to have some separation, he would have been taking from the pot. The joined wealth of the family. Lot would be taking from the great substance mentioned in verse 6. Abram was willing to separate himself with the substance so that he could still do what God had planned for him to do. He couldn't let strife get in the way of God's plan for his life. So Abraham, Abram, I'm sorry, I'm going to say that a lot. You know who I mean. Abram was willing to separate himself from the substance. The substance wasn't the thing that put Abram in the position that he was in. In fact, the position that he was in supplied the substance. So Abram Abram knew that it wasn't the substance that needed to be separated. It was that Lot and him needed to be separated so that he could still do the plan of God. It wasn't the pursuit of silver or gold that led Abram to become the father of many nations. It wasn't the riches that made Abram's lineage that of Israel. Abram didn't have his sight on the substance that Lot allowed himself to be consumed by. No, he kept his sight on God. So look what happens in the next verse. Genesis 13 and verse number 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes. And beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And look at this. Even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Lot proves himself right here and there and shows us who he truly is in these few verses. When it came to conflict, notice Lot did not give an opinion. Lot did not have an answer. Lot did not try to amend this strife. Lot did not look to reconcile with his uncle. In fact, when Abram brought up the idea of separating, Lot was looking for real estate. The Bible says that Lot saw all the plains of Jordan, that everything was well watered. But Lot saw what he was looking for when he saw it and noticed that it looked like 
Egypt. Lot wasn't concerned about truly getting over the scuffle of the herdsmen. He didn't care about what Abram or what Sarah had to say about the situation. He didn't even care about what God promised unto Abram. What Lot was looking for was a place like Egypt. He was looking for a place that reminded him of the world. See, Lot followed Abram out of their country, out of their kinsmen, and out of the family. And so he followed them into Egypt. And, of course, we know what Egypt represents in the Bible. Egypt represents the world. It, it, it represents idolatry. It represents slavery to the Israelites in the book of Exodus. And, and, and we see that Lot goes into Egypt with Abram, and he sees all these riches. He sees this substance. So whenever we go over to the 13th chapter, we notice that when the strife happens, Lot doesn't look for peace. He looks for substance. And he looks for it in the place of Egypt. Genesis 13, 11 says, Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves one from the other. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. Lot liked what he saw when he looked at the land that reminded him of Egypt. Students, I warn you. Infinite, I'm warning you right now. Listen, it doesn't matter how good Egypt looks. It's still evil. When you start school this year, when you start college, whatever it is, notice that Egypt may look good, but Egypt is still evil. Even though it gave you substance, it may give you knowledge, it may give you ideas, it may open up your thinking. It is still secular thinking. It is still evil, idolatry thinking that is not based on God. doesn't matter that Lot wasn't truly in Egypt. Notice, the Bible doesn't say that Lot went to Egypt. He just looked for a place that looked like Egypt. You may not be in the world yet, but maybe you're looking for something that looks like the world. As Abram pitched his tent towards Canaan, towards the promises of God, towards the the plans and the steps that God had for his life, Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. Notice the verse even says that Lot didn't even live in the plains. He didn't even live with his herdsmen. He didn't even live with his cattle or with the silver or gold that he kept. He lived in the cities of the plain. If his cattle were his true intentions, if the substance were his true intentions, he wouldn't have been in the cities. He would have been in the plains. But the Bible says he was in the cities of the plains. Lot had his eyes on the substance before it came to Abram. But now it's not about that anymore. Because when Lot got connected to the idea of going somewhere that looked like Egypt, it's no longer about the substance. It's now about Egypt. What it all comes down to is that Abram and Lot had their eyes on two very different things. I ask you students, I ask you parents and grandparents, what is your sight on tonight? Abram set his eyes on God. Lot had his eyes on Sodom. Because when he decided to pitch his tent facing towards Sodom, he was saying, that is what I want. That is what I want to be. That is what I want to gravitate towards. As Abram pitched his tent toward Canaan, the promises of God, and said, that's where I want to go. I want to follow after the steps of God, and I want to be in his will. Because look at what it says in Genesis 13 and 13. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. That's what Lot had his eyes on. 
That is what Lot was looking towards. He may not have thought that when he looked for a place that looked like Egypt. But looking for a place like Egypt through substance led him to a place called Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis 13 and 14 says, And the Lord said unto Abram, After that lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art northward, and southward, and eastward, and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee I will give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. That's what Abram set his eyes on. Lot looked to Sodom. Abram saw the plan of God. When you allow yourself to keep your sight on the substance, I promise you it's always going to put you on a road where your sight will inevitably be on sin. Because Sodom and sin are synonymous. I'll tell you this, I bet Lot would never have gone to Sodom as he left with Abram at the very beginning. I bet you when Lot was packing up his things, as he was packing up his family, and as Abram and Sarah were packing up their families, and they were getting ready to go on their journey with God, I bet Lot wasn't thinking, you know what, here in a few chapters, I'm going to go to a place called Sodom. This is going to give me the perfect opportunity. I'm going to get a little taste in Egypt, that way I could experience the full thing of Sodom and Gomorrah. No, I don't think that's the case. In fact, Lot didn't have a desire for the world until he had a taste of the world. And let me tell you, church, I'm not here to preach against devices. I'm not here to preach against the internet. But students and parents, you can get a taste of the world anytime through a device just like this. You could get a taste for Egypt if we're not careful on a device just like this. And it was a taste of Egypt that led Lot unto Sodom. It wasn't until Lot came into Egypt that his appetite began to change. Substance didn't lead Lot into Sodom. It was only after Lot experienced the world that Sodom looked pleasing now. It wasn't the substance before Egypt. It was the substance after Egypt that led him to Sodom. Pitching his tent towards the wicked city would end up leaving the whole city being destroyed along with Gomorrah. And it ended up that even his wife would end up as a pillar of salt because of the decisions that Lot made in Egypt. That's what we always must keep in line. Faulty sight will always lead you into destruction. Faulty sight will always lead you into destruction. Jumping over to 1 Samuel chapter 8, it opens up with the introduction of the sons of the prophet Samuel. The sons Joel and Abiah were raised by the prophet Samuel in a godly home. Samuel made them judges in the land, but the Bible says that they went astray. They took bribes, they lived lucre lives, and they were perverted in their judgment. And it says in 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 4, Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah. And look at this next verse in verse number 5. And said unto him, Behold, thou art old. Samuel, you're getting old, old guy. And thy sons, they're evil and they don't walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us. Notice this. Like all the nations. Make us a king like every other nation. The Israelites wanted to do what all the other nations were doing just because they saw it. They demanded that Samuel change the way this nation was designed for by generations. They wanted to change the DNA of Israel to better fit in with all of the other nations. So they demanded that they have a king on the fact just to be like the other nations. 
Samuel then goes on with a warning. Samuel shows them the dangers of doing things like the world, changing things to accommodate those around us. And he says in verse 19 of chapter 8, Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, Nay, but give a king over us. So then we see uh, Saul get put into the place of king. We see it in 1 Samuel 13, 11 through 14. You can read that, and we see Saul going on to be king. Saul would go on to live a life of jealousy. He lived a life of rebellion. He would get involved with witchcraft. Saul would see that another would be appointed to be the next king in David, the shepherd boy. David would serve Saul well. He would fight the Philistines and become a mighty warrior for King Saul. Yet Saul would later try to kill him multiple times to the point where Saul would chase David out of the city to try to kill him. And because Saul had his sight on the wrong thing, look at what happens to him in 1 Samuel chapter 34 or 31, excuse me, verse 4 and 6. Then said Saul unto his armor bearer, Draw thy sword and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell upon it. Saul killed himself. And when the armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise upon his sword and died with him. So Saul died and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men all in that same day together. Just because the Israelites saw what other nations were doing. Saw what idol nations were doing. Saw what the world was doing. They demanded they have a king. And because of those demands, Saul was put into place. Saul did good things before God. But when his heart changed, because he was lifted up by men he died in the face of the Philistines and it says in 1 Samuel 31 and 9 and they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent him to the land of the Philistines round about to publish it in the house before their idols and among the people they put his armor in the house of Ashtoreth I don't know if you remember me preaching on Ashtoreth but that is the idolatry uh, that's the idol of sexual pleasure and they put his armor in her house and, and then it says in verses 12 and 13, that valiant men arose and went all night. They took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons, and they took it off the wall in Belshan and came to Jabesh. They burnt their bodies, they took their bones, and they buried it under their tree. All because a nation saw what the world was doing. Watch out to what you allow yourself to have your eyes on. What your sight is on will lead you to your final destination. Lot was on Egypt and it led down the road to Egypt which led him to Sodom and Gomorrah. Perhaps the most wicked cities in all of scripture. Or like the people of Israel who had their eyes on other nations that wanted to be like them so bad to have a king like them. And it led to Saul's death. Your vision will decide where your story ends. You can be like these men who failed in their vision. But I've come to show you. What if we look at a story like Samson? Who we've also, remember we talked about him on Sunday. That man allowed himself to keep his eyes on Delilah. And because of that, she did everything she could to take away his strength. Because he was mighty. He killed many Philistines. And because Samson didn't see a traitor or a backstabber, he saw a beautiful woman and he gave himself to that woman and he gave up his secrets of his power to that woman that his power was taken away by the cutting of his hair. But remember in your Bibles, that is not where the story ended. 
For there came a time where he stood in the midst of all those Philistines. Blind because they had gouged out his eyes so that he permanently would be blind. I've come to tell you, church, you do not need eyes to see what God has in store for you. You do not need these natural eyes to see in the supernatural. Because while he's sitting there, he takes his beaten down hands, bound by chains, over the laughter of the Philistines. They were making a joke of him. Over the noise coming from the huge crowd of people, he utters a simple prayer in Judges 16 and 28. He said unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, why... Or he says, I'm sorry, O Lord, O God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once, O God, that I may be once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. And the next chapter says, And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood, and on it was borne up of the one on his right hand and the other on his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might, and the house fell upon the Lord and upon all the people that were there therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. Because of everything the Philistines did to him, he accounts his prayer and action on the very reason that they took his sight. He said, God, I'm not mad that that someone was a traitor to me. I don't care that somebody backstabbed me. I don't care that the woman I love threw me in and took me under. But I'm just mad that they took my sight. What we sometimes don't understand is that Samson saw more in the moments of his blindness than when he still had his eyes. He was able to see in the supernatural. He was able to see beyond his current distress. And because of that, because of his shift in vision, he killed more Philistines in his final action of faith in his whole entire life. Understand, church, that what we have our sight on is not of this world. Will you stand with me? It all depends on what you have your sight on. What am I looking towards? Am I like Abram, looking towards the plans of God, following after the plans of God? Or am I like Lot, looking for Egypt, looking for that substance and looking for things that I could barely get by with? To get more and more like the world and I end up in Sodom. Am I like the Israelites? I see what the world's doing every day and I want to incorporate that in the church But it ends up with that very thing dying, a horrible death. Or will I be like Samson says, I've failed, I've sinned, but God, I know that if I just keep my eyes on what your plan is for me, I will do great things for you. 2 Corinthians says in chapter 5 and 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Matthew 5 and 8 says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 1 Corinthians 4 and 18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. And Hebrews 11 and 1 says that famous verse, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. If you will begin to make your way to these altars, I want us to have just a moment of prayer. 
as we begin this new school year, as we begin going into our campuses, or maybe you're just in the workforce and it's time to have a rejuvenation of the eyes. This is what I'd like us to do tonight. We're going to have a few moments of prayer. I want us to pray that our sight be on the right thing. That we keep our sight on the Lord and the promises of God and the plan that He has for our life. Thank you for listening to the MPC Podcast. We trust that today's message has inspired you, encouraged you, and strengthened you in the Lord. We would like to invite you to join us again by simply subscribing to our podcast, and we encourage you to write a review if it has been a blessing to you. Again, you can find us at medorachurch.com to learn more about our ministry.